Hey everyone, it's autumn, a time for harvest festivals and family reunions. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you're 50 or older, you're at greater risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. So get an updated vaccine now. Need more information? Talk to a doctor. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah. Also, I when you're hearing this, you only have two more days to fill the form out uh, <laughs> and book the hotel room. No, yes. we're going to give it up. It's up to the 6th. So you have up to October 6th. The, when this comes out, hotel. it'll be, I think, the 4th. Is it? Okay. I think this well, comes out on days. the 4th of October. Yeah, well, you know. Wait, <laughs> better late than out, ever. This comes out, or never mind. Oh, we are. Oh, wait. What are we talking about? I forgot what we were recording. <laughs> <laughs> we're recording the oh intro God. to the yes, this other yes. episode. This okay, is actually going call, out in two call, days. Good call. I completely forgot. We can I cut totally that out. Was, Just cut it all out. I'm leaving today. You're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean American, and more. And now, here's your host. Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. This is KJ, Nathan, and Patrick here with another great episode. And I say that having not heard the episode. We'll get into it. Fellas, how are you doing? <laughs> being a real great. me, not being there, there for the episode. Or I'm, for pulling the a, I'm really Spoiler pulling a Patrick, alert. if you will. <laughs> I don't it's think okay. that's right. Both of you have missed. It. It's my turn to that's miss an true. episode. That is so. true. Yeah. It's fine. We all owe it to each other to miss at least one interview. I don't know. I don't know. I if think we I've owe missed three. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly. Anyways, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Nate or Nathan, how are you doing? I guess not to steamroll over you. <laughs> <clears throat> it's okay. Uh, I'm just here. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Playing with Legos. Uh, pretty much. Yeah, I'm dealing with no. allergies. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I wasn't gonna say anything. I, I we have some allergies here too, but other than that, um, yeah, not much, not much going on. I can't, uh, can't say it. Uh, anything major going on over here in the old Colorado area? But uh, excited about our live show. That's for sure. Oh, hey, I'm excited yes, about that. that is an yeah. excellent segue. That <laughs> yes. I w- I spent so much time thinking about it, and now that we're recording, I'm like, oh, yeah, live show. <laughs> that was the most low-key intro we've ever done. <laughs> it's fine. We came in super low, then acted like we had no idea what was happening, and then Nathan expertly segued us into <laughs> what's happening. You know what, Nathan? Know. Just tell us about the live show, because you're probably the only know. one that does know what's happening. That's very true. Well, I know some things that are happening. I, I want lots of things to happen. I mean, I, I have all these plans things that I want to happen, but we'll see if we can make it happen. Um, but we are, we are excited make that we have yes, the, the essentially the registration form that KJ was so kind to make. Um, so at least we have that up. So there is a form. If you go to John, backslash live, and you can fill out some information there, or when you click on a button there, you can fill out some information that, uh, just pretty much gives us your name and phone number and address and all that stuff. Um, you can also pay if you want to reserve a spot. Um, you can send money to me at uh, Nathan-Nowak 
on Venmo. Oh, putting his Venmo out there for the yeah. world. Well, um, other than that, it's going to be in Carrollton, Texas, October 22nd. Um, it's going to be an all-day event, so just plan uh, to be with us for the whole day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to have two interviews, or sorry, one interview and then one li- uh, solo show. Two we're live gonna, shows. So two live shows, yes. We're going to have... Technically one live show, two portions. <laughs> two I would portions. say two parts. Two yeah. parts, one I mean, show. We'll get back to it. All right, but we'll next figure week, it out. But we'll next figure week, it out. we'll have Semantics. sorted this out. When we sit down to do it that day, we'll figure it out. Then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a it's poll fine. from the audience. We get it. It's fine. Yeah. We figured um, it out. But yeah, and then of course we got the Korean barbecue uh, for dinner, and then uh, Noribang for uh, for an after after party, I guess you could call it. So we hope everyone can make it. There's a few other things that we're hoping to plan, but uh, we will fill you guys in as those things become developed, um, like film. Yeah. <laughs> nice, yeah. So come on down to <laughs> Dallas, Texas. Uh, there's a major airport here, so. Should hopefully be easy. I don't know. I don't know. Well, actually, that assumes, the, I guess, that the, that the listeners are near a major airport. Maybe it's not. So, so very funny true. story on that one, actually. Uh, nope. Southwest doesn't go into DFW. No, it goes into Love Field. Yeah. Love. So, so for anyone, look, it's not that much further. I guess they're both almost the same distance from Carrollton, right? Yeah. I mean, one's a little more east, one's a little more Love Field west, is west and one's south. Okay. I'm flying yeah. into Love Field, so nice. I, I was going to go That's southwest. the home of Southwest, baby. Yeah. So I'm flying but, into the other one that's not so nice. Well, it depends <laughs> on where you go. It's like it it's in different states of read readingness. Yeah. yeah, but so. I didn't know that. That was that was the first time I, I when I was booking, I was like, because I've never actually really been to Dallas. So Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, show me around Dallas. Oh, yeah, I'll show you a real good time. <laughs> We're gonna go to a place where JFK died. We're gonna go to a <laughs> Holocaust Museum. We're gonna it's gonna be you're gonna be so amped. <laughs> we got a lot of happy things. We can go to the state fair. That's actually legitimately happy. Where big tech's Ooh. caught on fire. That's sad. It's fine. Mm. It's fine, guys. I like Come the peaks and out. valleys of this trip. The- high and low. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I hope it's not low, 100 low, degrees. Low, high, low. Yeah. Low, low. High, low, low. High, low. Yeah. Well, either way, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, hope hope everyone can make it. We've already I'm got a few people signed up. So, it. yeah. So, thank you for those who jumped on the uh, entry form already. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that's not what this episode is about, Patrick. No. What is this episode about? This episode is about a lot of different things. Our guest today, or on this interview, um, comes to us from the Netherlands. Something that we did not establish at the beginning of the interview. <laughs> I was listening oh. to it. I was like, we just blow well, right into it. it. Uh-huh. Um, but just uh, specifically from Amsterdam, and she shares a lot about her story. Uh, I really don't want to spoil anything here leading into it, uh, other than the fact that we learn a lot of, she learns a lot of very interesting things on her first trip back to Korea. And um, I think that her story is really powerful. I think there's a lot of different things that happen in there that are unexpected. And I think we have a really good, deep discussion, sans KJ, um, with our guest. Sans me. Sans KJ. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just thought it was a really fantastic interview, a really good discussion and oh stick around for the food portion because there is a question that gets answered there that i think is uh really valuable and beneficial as well so um that is what this conversation not just food oh Mm -hmm. and also yeah 
you have to stick around for the snack because we are healing ourselves with this tasty treat that we're trying. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. It's very fun. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that clip with our interview with Heishu. Welcome back to the John Chi Show interview portion. Um, very, very excited today. We have a guest who has been a longtime listener. We've just found out prior to hopping mm-hmm. on this recording and someone who I'm actually not going to spoil anything about what we're about to share. <laughs> so uh, please, everyone listening out there, welcome our guest, Heishil. Heishil, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Sorry that that intro was just kind of a little bit all over the place because I don't know. I haven't rolled into an interview in a while, but this is a really... It seemed fine to me. Thank you. Thank you. As someone who's listened to the show, you know that I can get on a little bit of a tangent, but um, <laughs> I'm excited because our pre-show conversation was really great. And I'm, I'm really excited to dig into some of these things that we just talked about with you uh, mm-hmm. for our listeners to be able to hear as well. So as you know, we are going to start off and kick it off by asking you to share as much or as little of your adoption story as you would like. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you. Um, well, I guess I would start my story uh, in September 1983 uh, in Seoul, South Korea, and with uh, a woman uh, named Moon Kyung-hee, who was about to go into labor. And um, she was living in Seoul in the early 80s, and at the time it was still a military dictatorship. And um, I imagine that she didn't really have many means necessarily. Um, I also don't think people were necessarily dirt poor, but there wasn't that much, you know. And um, yeah, she had to get herself to a a birth clinic. And um, I imagine that she either was able to go by car or she took the, the subway um, but she arrived at this, uh, this small building in the middle, real, really like geographically the middle of Seoul, uh, at the foot of the mountain where the Seoul Tower is, um, in a little street with houses and some fruit trees. And she went into the clinic, uh, by herself reportedly. And there she gave birth to me. And she spent some days in the clinic with me. And it's not clear how many days uh, we spent together, but we did. And that was our time together. And then what happened next is is a little shady and unclear because it's reported that she left to, 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 you know, make sure that we had a place to stay and to make arrangements and also to get money to pay for the treatment. And then she would come back and pay and take me. So she left me at the clinic and she didn't come back at first. And she only phoned the clinic like three times to discuss, you know, like what to do. And then it says in my documents that she agreed if she wouldn't come back before the 18th of September. And I was born on the 7th that she would relinquish me and that it was okay to send me to an orphanage. And then um, that paper was signed reportedly by her, which would mean that she came back, which is, you know, so shady as to who came Mm -hmm. up with that paper, you know? And then uh, she didn't come back 
So by the 21st of September, I was brought to the KSS orphanage and I stayed there for about a little over two more months. Um, as you know, in uh, one of the 250 beds that were filled with babies at all times, mm. uh, with a sponge next to your face, with a bottle, which you would find or not find. Uh, I imagine no walks outside. I don't think they had a 250 bugaboos <laughs> lined up to, <laughs> to take us for walks and, and, and hungry. And then uh, we flew. Uh, I got a orf like an orphanage visa. Went to the Netherlands, which was one of the countries that uh, KSS assigned to send their babies to, of course. Um, picked up by two Dutchmen, flew to Korea to random guys who <laughs> decide to do this type of job, and who picked up, I think, um, seven babies for that particular flight and they booked the agency booked three chairs for the two men and all the babies. Uh, I think also oh. to save money. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, Travis yeah, is one baby. Yeah, I don't know if you have kids, that's but that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so when I arrived, um, at Schiphol airport in Amsterdam, which is still a special place for me, I met my adoptive parents and my mother always tells me that she brought Two bottle, uh, three bottles with different drinks because she didn't know what I would drink, and I finished all of them um, <laughs> because I was just hungry. You know, right. yeah, I am also an, a big eater, but like <laughs> uh, I was definitely hungry. And um, then I started my life in the Netherlands, um, and the whole story with my mother was never told. And instead I got documents from Korea that said that I was an abandoned baby and I was found somewhere with a note in my clothes and that my parents were both unknown. So that was the point in my life where she was erased from existing, mm -hmm. um, which is one of my biggest griefs to this day. And then, uh, so I started my life uh, and I uh, tried to be a good kid and uh, grew up and uh, eventually moved to Amsterdam. And then at so a certain point, my sister, who's also a Korean adoptee, but from a different family, she um, decided to go to Korea. And um, I wasn't entirely out of the fog. It mm. was like... You know, there were a couple of really nice friends, like good friends who had planted little seeds and said, shouldn't you go and look, you know? Um, but I never had. It's also not really how we were raised. And then she went and she's, she texted me this picture of her in, the, in our orphanage. And this is a moment where something snapped in me and I thought, why am I not there? Why am I not there? I am... So it made it made it more a realistic, uh, like something that you can plan to go there, and not just a thought of oh, one day I'll go to Korea. Right. It made it tangible, and I booked uh, flights the same week. <laughs> oh wow! Huh. Yeah, we were like, okay, this is like happening. the switch was literally flipped. <laughs> yeah. Like there was no like gradual turning on. It was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, I mean, things had been brewing. Um, I remember one conversation with with a friend and he, I don't know, we were talking about Korea and he was like, do you want to go sometime? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, as it's, you know, the typical question of as a tourist or do you want to search? 
and I was, and it was one of the first times I answered honestly. And I said, I would like to know what it's like to be there, to move there, to be around, you know, just exist in that space. Exactly. And, and he was like, Oh, so, um, to know if it feels like different from here. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, I don't think so. Which is, it's a very, yeah, it's a very Dutch down to earth response. Like, uh, and I, and I remember saying, um, well, I don't know that. And therefore you also don't know that. And then he was like, oh yeah, I guess. (laughs) I mean, it was fine, but it was just, for me, it was an important moment. And then, you know, when I saw my sister there, I went. So I went back to the orphanage after 35 years. And I expected just not much, you know, because you grow up with this idea that nothing is there. It's your truth, right? Mm -hmm. And then we sat down, my husband and I and uh, Miss Kim, um, she had uh, this big file that was quite thick. And she put it on the table and told this story about my mother coming to the clinic, etc. And uh, I just, um, I still find it really hard to describe what that's like when your entire truth and so this, these roots that you didn't even know that you had are also instantly cut off in a way. So it's um, finding and losing at the same time. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was shocking. And th- the entire trip was, I mean, never have a first trip twice you know so it was i mean it was special and when i returned i decided okay then i also want to find her i mean she exists i finally knew that she existed so i went search so the first thing you have to do is 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 request all your papers right and your documents which i find uh, also uh, a humiliating process because it makes me feel institutionalized Mm -hmm. um and you know the for instance on the on the documents it says things like what are your hobbies and skills? I'm like, what, how, how is that relevant? You know, right. how is that relevant? But anyway, so I, I, I went through all of those things and requested as much as possible. And then, and goal assisted me, you know, the mm-hmm. organization. Yep. And then um, eventually they were like, okay, um, I think we have everything. The only thing we don't really have is a birth certificate. And as you were born, like in a clinic, there probably should be one. So I just emailed and said, can I have a birth certificate? And I was like, what can be on the birth certificate, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a statement, basically. And then I sent it to them to get it translated. And then the next morning, also due to the time difference, I just got out of the shower and I checked my phone and I had this message from the man who was helping me. And he said, yeah, um, we see something in your birth certificate and I don't know if you... You are aware of it, but we weren't aware of it. And I was like, I mean, what, what can it be? You know? Like, <laughs> uh, and then um, he said, well, you were born as twins. Whoa. So I really had to, I really had to sit down. Yeah. I was really like, and I, I was instantly like, what do you mean? Like, how does it say, are you sure? Um and we checked, he showed me and he showed me that the documents say there's this option on the form uh, to tick if it's multiples, if there's multiple, mm. you know, births. Yeah. And it said yes with the multiples. And then I was circled as number two. So I was the second baby to come out. 
and we had it translated by three different people to just be because it's this tiny tiny detail and some people think that the other child died and i survived and some don't and i mean you know there's never a hundred percent truth but generally you know it is belief that i was born as a twin uh so obviously i was furious and uh i emailed mrs kim which is no point but it was at least was my you know i needed to go somewhere with my how on earth is this did you not tell me and she was like oh yeah i i, I didn't see that yeah i overlooked and i was like okay and um yeah so that's that there's a i think in big lines my uh story um and as as i said the you know adoption i, I find a transitional word mm -hmm. you know it means to go from one place to another and also to be adopted so to be taken in here um and i think my story is really about um someone who ha who has a life someone who exists and who exists to this day so yeah well one i really appreciate you sharing all that um Thank thanks i think a lot a lot to unpack um <laughs> And a lot of, a lot of like loose threads still, I think, um, mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. I think, well, I think it's an interesting part of all of our stories as adoptees, um, but especially I think permeating out throughout yours. Um, I want to start with your sister, actually. I was going to mm -hmm. ask you what prompted her trip to go back to Korea. And actually, before I ask that question... Um, I want to get the timeline correct on when this kind of all started. Is this a recent, like, is all the, all of this work that has been going on, the returns and everything like that happening recently within like the last three to five years, or is this something that's been taking place over a little bit of a longer timeline? It is quite recent. So the first time I went back was in 2018. Okay. And, um, then I went three times before, uh, until the pandemic. And okay. actually I'll go next month. So I'm very excited. Okay. Um, which is a good question because it is true that all of this information came to me very condensed and it was extremely overwhelming. Okay. Yeah. So now I guess that, that, that definitely helps. So your sister's trip to Korea, cause you said that was kind of what prompted, like when she sent you that picture of her at the orphanage, like mm -hmm. what prompted a lot of this. So when did mm -hmm. she go back and did something prompt her specifically to make that trip? Or was she just like, Oh, I have a chance to go to Korea and I'm going to just go. Yeah. She, she did actively uh, make that decision to go at the time she was pregnant with her second child and her first child was, I think two, he was, he was quite small and it was also a, in my sister's fashion, very practical decision because, um, it is still somewhat affordable, you know, and if she would travel with four, um, mm. and I think for her that if I can speak for her, that, that kind of pushed her to do, mm -hmm. to do it now. Like, okay, if I want to go, otherwise it will take me years again. Sure. And I'm not sure what emotionally, uh, you know, pushed her, but she, um, she just wanted to go. It was this thing where she was like, yeah, I think I'll go. And um, uh, not necessarily a huge process that I know of. Um, yeah. Did, so did you all, 
was the, were these conversations that y'all had been having um, either maybe growing up or prior to her trip to Korea, had y'all had conversations about one adoption and being adopted or and navigating life as an adoptee? And then two, I guess, um, from an ethnic standpoint, because I think mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, you're, it's not very many Asian people, but mm-hmm. specifically like Korean adoptees as well, even though Netherlands adopted many Korean children. Um, mm-hmm. Was that a conversation that you had had prior to her even going or what was that like? Um, for a very long time, we didn't talk much about it. It's not as if it, we actively didn't speak about it, but it was just more the standard for us, I guess, that it was just the way it was. And that mm. I think if I look back now, maybe we also didn't really dare to dig into it. Sure. Um, we were also raised with the idea, like, um, you are, my parents were always like, Oh, if you want to search, you, you're, you, you can always search and we'll help you, but please don't. you like, mm. you know, without saying don't do it. Right. They're like, yeah. like, we'll yeah. help you, but, <laughs> but you're Dutch now. You're right. Dutch now. Sure, 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 sure. Which is a very, uh, very um damaging thing to say um and because it makes it like it like layers it underneath like because you don't realize that's what's happening until it's happened a bunch of times and then it's like oh well how do i now walk back from this like how do i Mm -hmm. build back from this layer of doubt that's been put on top of me on, on, on unconscious to myself and how do i work past that yeah and it made it harder because um by saying oh you're now you're you're dutch it basically says also hey you're raised white mm-hmm. um it also means that you have to undo that once you start searching instead yeah. of whereas if they would have um you know uh, been more mindful about our our heritage then at least you know so going i mean it was the self racialization was one of the hardest things that I've uh, went through, I've gone through in the past years. And um, I think that's also why my sister and I didn't talk about it super much. And then now we do. Now we talk mm. lots about it. And it's, 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 really, it's really good and nice. And I feel very proud to be a Korean and um, to express that. And... Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you for sharing that as well. And I think it takes me, it leads me into uh, this next question of, you talked about that first trip going back to Korea. You had said, you mentioned the conversation with your friend that you wanted to go back and exist there to just feel mm-hmm. what that felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, when you finally got to go uh, for the first time in 2018, were you able to do that? Did you give, did you have enough time built in? Did you go, I guess my question is, did you go solo or did you go in a group, like on a trip with mm-hmm. a tour or what was your first experience like? Uh, I went just with my husband and we also carefully decided to do, to do it like that and to leave our daughter at home for the first trip and mm. to really be able to feel whatever I and we would feel. And uh, as the, the, the visit to the orphanage was so shocking, it was so deeply shocking. Um, I experienced a lot of direct grief uh, in in that first trip, and 
uh, one of the, yeah, a couple of things I remember. So uh, at a certain point, I, uh, we went to visit my place of birth, so the, the clinic. And so I've actually been there and now I go there every time, you know, uh, I'm there. And what, as I was walking in the area, I was thinking, wow, you know, I've grown up for 35 years in another part of the world, another part of this planet, and you come back. It's so instinctive and so sort of natural. And I found that very emotional. And at the same time, also on other trips later, I've been able to make really beautiful experiences and connections to people there. And at one point I've really been comforted by a man who I didn't know in the middle of the city. So, you know, you can find comfort in a city of 12 million people. And those connections and those moments have contributed to my feeling at home there, um, reconnecting to the country and the existing there, as you say, uh, on top of things like my husband not being able to find me in the, in the subway because he was like, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know that? Yeah, my, <laughs> friend, my friend said the exact same thing when yeah. I went too. It's so stupid, but it's, <laughs> it's true because here it's like, okay, there's a lot of white people and it's you. Yeah. And yeah. there it's like, oh, you just oh, blend in all of a sudden. Yeah. But I love, I love it. I love, I love going on the, on the subway there. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like when you were there um, and you were say eating the food or walking mm -hmm. the streets, you know, you said it felt comfortable. It felt, um, you know, I don't know, like instinctive, surreal, instinctive. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Did you also like sometimes think, Oh man, these could be the street that my mom was walking on, or this could mm -hmm. be the food that I was, you know, fed for the first three, four months as a kid, or I guess you'd be giving mostly milk, but that your mom ate or something yeah, like kimchi. that. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they, <laughs> I just, when I first had mm -hmm. Korean food, I felt like a connection to a lot of it mm -hmm. that I, I just didn't think I would, I guess. Yeah. Um, at the same time, in the beginning, it was also a little uncomfortable. I had to, uh, kimchi is something you need to learn to eat if mm -hmm. you haven't been brought yes. up. And <laughs> I found that very confronting as well. You know, because I wanted to be like, oh, this is my food. And you're like, oh, my mouth is burning off. And, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, so in the beginning, it was also confronting. And now it feels like, a. I mean, we eat Korean food every week. And um, being there, yeah, I definitely thought, especially that first trip, I was completely preoccupied by looking at everyone's faces. Mm. And it was it was also exhausting. And I also had this very sort of uh, strained idea of how I was supposed to behave and um, as if I was afraid that they would see like it, I hadn't grown up well or mm. I hadn't done well or something. And that has, I mean, that, that has really changed. I'm, I'm completely comfortable and I feel just like myself when I'm there now. Um, and I also don't look at everyone's faces. But there are definitely instances where i think not just particular people but also you know those hardworking women at the markets and you see that there's also really tough way of living there sure. you know there's a lot of people who are uh not ne necessarily like street poor but um 
just sort of constantly surviving, right? Always working, and you never really have anything. And those endless high rises. Um, so those things I find uh, co- confrontational at, at, in a way, but also I've also come to love it. And um, yeah, I just had like this. I don't know this realization as you were talking about that, um, and the not the confrontation part, but it's the the un uh, easy feeling of not knowing, you know, while you're there, certain things, um, when you're not wanting to project that you, you know, weren't raised well, or that you don't know certain things about the Korean culture or things like that. I think mm-hmm. my first trip when I was there, um, I'm having this like realization that I, I did some similar things where I was trying to fit in in a way mm. like like kind of how i was raised where i was trying to fit in but i was trying to fit into the white culture at that time and now mm. i'm in korea i'm trying to fit in with the korean mm-hmm. culture and not stick out as a foreigner um mm-hmm. even though i am a foreigner um you know i wanted to like be able to read the menus i wanted to be able to know the street signs or know kind of uh you know where i was going or even where the bathroom was and things like that yeah um, but uh, that's funny. I just never really realized that 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 was a very similar feeling to uh, when I was being raised. Um, maybe that's something that you also felt when you were saying that, that that's that uncomfortable um, feeling while you were there. Yeah, and I've thought a lot about it because it's, I think, um, one of the most dangerous, dangerous things or comments uh, generally for anyone, any person of color who... Uh, doesn't live in the country of their parents' origin or whatever, um, is to say you are not <laughs> whatever enough. Mm-hmm. You are not brown enough. You are not this enough. You're not Dutch enough. You're not whatever. And I think it's one of the worst things people could say to me, not necessarily because I want to be a Korean so much, but just because it really makes you feel torn. It really makes you feel as if you don't belong anywhere. And, um, I think it's one of the feelings I struggled with most, um, after some of those first experiences and wondering why I went and if it was a a good decision or not. And I've come to uh, reconcile that in, um, uh, knowing more who, who I am as a person, Mm -hmm. because I would have been that I would have had those traits there and I have those traits here and I see it in my child who has traits that are not affected by how my parents raised me or, you know, um, right. so those things really help, but I, I really have an aversion to, you know, saying things like, um, for a really silly example, but you know, this thing in America where people say that Donald Glover is for white people. So watching sure. Atlanta is like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I find that a, a terrible thing to say. I, I, I find it really disgusting, to be honest. This idea that someone is supposed to be more of this or less of that, you know, um, mm. it's a very dangerous thing to say. I totally agree because I think when you tell somebody that you're, they're not enough, you're stripping and chipping away at their humanity. Yeah. And yeah. like... Like, especially just from an adoptee's perspective and from my specific perspective, it's like feeling that it's, it, I guess you, as we talked about, it makes it very, very difficult to kind of come back from that and to find reconciliation with that. You know, like when I talk about my story and my life, you know, that first 
phase of rejection that I was in is 30 years long. So that's, that's like, it's a lot because it's like that builds up over time. And it's not even just specifically racist comments, but definitely the microaggressions, but even like the well-intended, like not even trying to make, probably make you feel bad with a, where are you from? Or why don't Mm -hmm. you go for on a birth search? Or why don't you know about the language or this or that, you know? And then on the flip side, expecting you to know all of those things um especially from like an ethnic group side where it's like oh well now you're definitely not asian or korean enough because you don't know or you didn't grow up here or this or that and like just the just that slashing away at humanity is really tough and i think it's a lot it's something that happens a lot like you like the donald glover example specifically is a really good one where it's like unfortunately one of the universal things that can bind all of us is the trauma we all experience it differently Mm -hmm. but trauma and harm and violence like this um that's dictated essentially by white domination and white supremacy Mm -hmm. and institutionalized Mm -hmm. racism um it's 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 tough and it's like Mm -hmm. and it becomes normalized within our own communities and our own language and it's like if we're not recognizing that then we can't battle back against it and so I think it's really interesting the way you talk about having to have navigated Korea like that the first time, because as I get ready to go back in October, and are you going on the OKF tour by chance in October? You no, said you're going next month? No, okay. When no, are you going to be in a, uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun though. <laughs> um, but as I get ready to go back, I think that that's probably the thing that I worry about the most. And I like what you said about, knowing yourself and that allows mm-hmm. you to better experience and better enmesh yourself within Korea itself. But for me and here, oh, and and, here. yeah. And at home. Yeah. and like, mm-hmm. so I'm experiencing that now here in America and in Indiana specifically about feeling like myself fully accepting who I am as a person, as a Korean, as an American, as an adoptee and moving forward in that way. And I know that that's helping me as I get ready to go to Korea, mm-hmm. but I am very worried that I'm going to walk like I'm going to be so tense about performing wrong, bowing incorrectly, not handing things the appropriate way and just causing disrespect, which I am not intending to do, uh, because then it's like then it makes me question myself in the am I am I I'll never be enough in this way. I'm not enough, even though I found this new place of acceptance. It's still like and it's because of those layers of of being told that by other people for so long that you'd never make it here or you'd never yeah. be enough here that I'll, that doubt creeps back in. And I think that's the tr- one of the major tragedies of being an adoptee or the adoptee experience is that even well-intended comments leave those layers of trauma. And we have to now, we have to, for no fault of our own, have to f- climb back through those in order yeah. to feel accept ourselves fully and so i just really appreciate you saying that because i'm getting ready to go back and it's just things that i think about um and i'm thinking about now but i did want to ask you your first trip like you said ended in this massive shock Mm -hmm. so share if you can about the shift that happens when you leave korea with this new information and Mm you now Mm -hmm. have to go come back to the netherlands and start that journey can you talk about what maybe not only the shift in mindset, but the shift in tactic for you was as like, as somebody who is self-racializing and somebody who's Mm -hmm. coming out of the fog or navigating the fog, at least. Can you talk a little bit about what that shift was like? And if, if there Mm -hmm. were major changes that had that, that you had to make in order to push forward to where you're at now? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so when I remember very well when we left uh, Korea, that first trip, I was crying in the airplane. And now, when, usually, you know, when I've had the trip, I'm, I'm, I'm fine to go home. And I also like to go. I'm fine. That first trip, I was crying. And I was crying really deeply because I uh, thought, I'm so sorry I'm leaving again. I thought, I've, I finally came back. And I've been here so short. And now I'm leaving again. And I felt really as if I was leaving my mother behind just having found out that week that she existed and then leaving. So that was this very, you know, I had no idea what this feeling was coming from. So I came back completely, uh, really in shock and grief. And re I mean, I was weirded out. I was very, you know, sure. in a very strange state. And then the self-racialization, it, it all took a while and a lot of therapy And, um, I really compare it a little bit to a, a coming out. Um, mm. it is something that you have to start communicating to your friends and family. Uh, like it's, it's such a strange and unfair thing to do, you know, because you have to say, um, yeah, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm Asian, I'm Korean. <laughs> and, um, I kind of want to be, I want you to acknowledge that. Sure. And not in a way of like, oh, everything, you know, you have those people who are like, yeah, uh, I saw a Korean on TV last night and telling me and I'm like, well, right. good for you. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> that's not the one I, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, exactly. you know, the acknowledging, especially with my inner circle uh, of my heritage. And um, I spent a lot of time in the beginning being angry at people for not doing it the right way. Mm. And I was like, why aren't they calling me? Why aren't they this? Why aren't they that? And then after a while I discovered, okay, so what am I doing? You know, um, what is it that I really want? And I mean, they're living their lives. They don't right. go to work thinking, Oh, what's up with Hachel and her, her, uh, heritage, uh, search or whatever. Right. <laughs> so I started communicating this, um, slowly, but surely myself. So starting to eat the food starting to uh, watch more uh, Korean movies, especially. I'm not mm. really a huge K-drama fan. Uh, I love the films. Yeah, I can't deal with those movies. I also can't deal with the music, with the K-pop. I just can't. <laughs> I'm kind I of love... the same. Will, uh, there's some that <laughs> yeah. I kind of like, but um, most of it I'm like, eh. I yeah, can leave it's it. fine. It's fine. They have a lot of great... They have Korean R&B. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so you know uh, navigating what i what i liked and didn't like and um and now it has it, it just took time and it integrated into my life i read i mean the the year i went for the first time in 2018 pashinko came out mm. and I, i read that book and that book means so much to me it's it's uh, i always tell my friends You should read it. It's my favorite book, but you're not allowed to say anything neg negative about it because <laughs> I love it so much. And you can, you're like, you can't. And it's, it was as if someone was telling me what my history is, you know, sure. that book is. Uh... And now actually I've uh, just had my birthday earlier this month and I celebrated by taking all my friends to a Korean restaurant which is something that I wouldn't have dared to do years ago. I would sure. I would have felt like complete phony and fake. And even now it was a, a little part of me was nervous. 
Um, but I was there and my husband ordered me a meal cook for my birthday. And um, it was really special. And I feel, I think I feel confident now being who I am. And I know I'm a little like, you know, the gestures and the, the, the whole physicality and the way of carrying yourself is different in Korea. Sure. So I know I'm a little like maybe out there for, for, for Koreans. Um, but I don't mind because I find that in a way as adoptees, we're almost like clones, you know, it's maybe a strange way of putting it. Hmm. Clones don't have heritage. They are a different kind, you know, and they, uh, I feel sometimes, I, I think sometimes about, you know, as an adoptee, we are this group of people and I belong to that group and I need you to know about it. So sure. I need the people here to know about it and what that experience is really like. And also the people there. And I find the people in Korea, they, they have a different reaction because they are the giving country and mm -hmm. not the receiving country. Right. So they're not like, oh, aren't you super grateful for your really right. wealthy Western life? And they're more, they're sorry. They're always like, I'm happy that you came back. Did you find your Oma? And, you know, um, yeah. So navigating that has been quite a, you know, a thing, definitely. Um, but I, um, yeah, I feel um, that I've grown into it. And now I don't blame other people around me anymore for for, for doing, not doing that for me. I mean, it's something that I, I should be doing, you know? That's great. I'm glad that you are comfortable with all of the, the emotions and feelings that you're having on both sides of being in, in uh, um, the Netherlands and in Korea. Um, do you also uh, talk to any other Koreans that are not adopted in the Netherlands? And I guess that would be like the third category of people that you talk to and feel comfortable <laughs> talking to about your adoption. Because mm -hmm. I found a lot of Korean Americans are very interested in uh, my adoption as well. And it's mm. like, it's completely, it's a different story of, of, of the way I tell it to them because they understand a little bit about Korea, but they don't understand about the Korean, Korean adoption part of it. No, so, yeah. no, I think, um, in, in America, there are a lot of, uh, Korean Americans mm -hmm. and to find a Korean here who, you know, immigrated or staying here for a while, that is rare. That's mm -hmm. really rare. Okay. There are very, very few Koreans. I actually had one, I'm a teacher and I had a Korean student, which was, was funny. And, um, uh, I mean, obviously I didn't dump my entire life story. On my <laughs> <story>. <laughs> um, hey kid, come here. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about me. Sit down. I'm going to no. tell you a story. <laughs> I didn't, but I did, I did say, um, yeah, I, I just loved, uh, working with her and, there, I have a friend, one friend um, who is from Korea and we've spoken about it and it is, yeah, it is different. You have to explain it in a different way. Um, I feel, uh, I feel comfortable sharing my, my experience, but I, I can tell I have more of a, uh, I, I, I have more of a need for her to understand. Mm. I want sure. her to acknowledge, you know, right. Um, and I feel bad because I don't want to make her a representative of the entire 
you know, Republic of Korea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess that's the small difference, but yeah, there are very few uh, Koreans in the Netherlands and yeah, there are, there are adoptees, as you said, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. the Netherlands have, have, has adopted a lot of Koreans and there are 5,000 of us, I think. Hmm. Um, So I definitely, that was, I want to ask you about that, but I want to go back to your clone metaphor. Because I've never mm. heard it put like that before, but I actually think mm-hmm. it's a really apt metaphor, mm-hmm. especially when I, especially when in like my personal work of talking about, you know, not changing the definition of adoption per se, which I think we'll probably get into here in a second as well, but just the narrative around adoption where you are always either a baby or a well adjusted adult or a um, ungrateful or maladjusted mm. adult. And there's mm-hmm. no there's no in between and there's no nuance to our mm-hmm. our overarching narrative of our community. And I think it's very much similar to a clone in the sense that we we're like it's almost like manufactured. Like you're manufactured, mm-hmm. you're grown, and then you're yeah. this, and then you're taken to this state, which is either ideal or non-ideal for mm-hmm. whoever is involved. And also on top of that, your history is manufactured where for most of us or many of us, we may never know or get the answer to why or what really happened that Mm -hmm. led to us being adopted. And I guess just because I'm a big star Wars fan, it did make me think about the clone Wars series where there's episodes in that show where you like, they humanize the clones. And now that I, and you put it that way and I'm thinking about it as like these stories, like this show it took a it took an animated it took something off the beaten path in order for these characters to be given life and to to find their footing in their own story and i think that you know really when i think about what we're doing as adoptees we are finding our ways on the non-traditional paths which are i guess probably becoming more traditional in the modern age but like through social media through podcasting through blogging mm-hmm to tell and find our stories. And when these larger corporations, these people that major productions who do these different things start to take notice, like that helps lift us up because at the end of the day, we can continue to do all of this stuff, which we will, which is great for our community. But when we are wanting to create that change, these people who have the privilege and power and the resource right now to give the platform have to start seeding the platform. And sometimes we have to take the platform from them. Um, but at other times, we f- saturate and flood the market with what we're doing. And I think I think it's just, I don't know, I just not had heard that metaphor before and it's got my mind going mm-hmm. all different sorts of ways. Um, <laughs> but to tie that into with what you had talked about, um, connecting in the Netherlands. So there is a, a concentration of uh, Korean adoptees there. And I've had the privilege of speaking with a few of them via various mm. means, whether it be Clubhouse or on Instagram or social media. Um, what's been your experience with the Korean adoptee community there? Uh, well, when I was little, I never wanted to join. <laughs> I was felt, I was very, you know, as uh, many uh, adoptees, Same. I was like, uh, <laughs> keep everything Asian away from me. Yes. And, mm. uh, you know, the self-hate is is... I mean, it's terrible if you look, you know, looking sure. back now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, in these past years, um, we've, we've gone, I mean, with we, I mean, my family and my sister and her family, 
we've joined a couple of events of Arirang, which is the, mm. the organization for the Dutch adoptees. And what it always does to me is that whenever I enter that room, because when, when I'm looking for, oh, where's the venue or where is it where you're like, okay, where, where are all the Asians? You know, you're like, okay, in which room are they? And then you open the door and I see all of them and it always makes me realize more that it's true. I think, oh yeah, look at us sitting here. All of these children, you know, shipped out of Korea, raised here. Um, so it always gives me the sense of truth. And uh, as you said, you know, you, you, you feel alone. And before, before the internet, you, uh, you know, it's a very, being adopted is a very strange concept. It's really, it's just really odd. And you just think, oh, this is my reality. And I guess this is what it's like. And no one else is like me. Uh, and that's it. So seeing uh, those adopted, other adopted people is nice. Um, however, I've also struggled to connect in a way that felt natural as I do with my friends. Sure. You know, liking someone just because you like them and not because you're like, oh, you're also Korean adoptee. Oh, my God. Right. And um, that has, you know, I've, I've struggled to generally find like-minded people um, that have a similar experience and you know, there's so many, there are just as many experiences of being adopted as there are adoptees. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's still, I think it's still an ongoing thing for me to find, um, that kind of community and the Netherlands is, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about this country, but it's really small, mm. <laughs> like tiny. There are only eight, <laughs> there are 18 million people in the entire country. And if you drive for three and a half hours, you've exited the country and you're like in, in Germany or you're in Belgium or whatever. That's so pretty it's, small. It's, just, it's yeah, for American standards, it's so <laughs> small, you know? Yeah. That's like a, a city in uh, some places in America, I guess. Yeah, but, it totally yeah. is. Sure. And we're like, you know, if, if you exit the ring of Amsterdam, my friends are like, Oh, do we need to, <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole, it really is like that. Yeah. So, um, Amsterdam's beautiful. I, the one thing is. I remember about it is that everybody was riding their bikes and I, I yeah, loved the, the, the bike culture there. I loved that you had entire garages just for bikes Yeah, and bike, not, not even like bike bikes. lanes. It was like multi bike lanes. It wasn't, uh -huh. I mean, it was just, it That's was a true. really cool bike community. I, I thought that was really neat. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you a little bit about your, your uh, profession as well. You said mm. you're a teacher, but you're also an artist and mm -hmm. your, your website, by the way, was amazing. The work that you've done on Thank there you. for the books, the uh, illustrations, and you even did some murals and some windows mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And, and is there any, uh, you know, any influence, uh, what influences you, I guess, to, to be so creative, like, like all of that, that you've done? Um, well, uh, most of the illustration work I've done was before I went to Korea. And those things also have something to do with each other. There's change, changes. Uh, I worked freelance for most of my uh, professional life and uh, as a graphic designer. And I worked at magazines and then became an illustrator and also a creative director. And then, um, yeah, so a lot of my 
inspiration what I like now if I look back you see this sort of I like cute I like everything that's cute and sort of you know it's in you it's in you so mm-hmm. I think w- the first time I went to Korea and I went to whatever Kakao France I was like I am from here <laughs> you know so there's this this aesthetic um yeah that is definitely inside of me and that I didn't even know of and I love drawing animals and cute little animals and um yeah sort of a very gentle soft fancy kind of world uh, sort of a natural world and then I mean, I was sort of about to stop doing that. I was kind of done with working these small projects every time and mm-hmm. then having not, not having colleagues, et cetera. And I wanted more intellectual, um, uh, how do you say it? Um, you know, to be stimulated more intellectually sure. also. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Korea, after I came back, there was also a shift in my head and I had huge trouble working as a as an illustrator and i thought i it's it's not reasonable you know i know it's not reasonable but i thought i felt that it was so privileged to think that way and it's also because i had seen all all the you know the hard life in korea and connecting connecting that to my own origins and i don't know it was just sort of a twist also in my mind and i stopped doing that um, and then the teacher job came mm-hmm. to me v- via a friend and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to try. And then after I, I taught my first class, I thought, okay, this is everything. I, I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know I, knew, I needed. And I became a full on teacher and passing on creative thinking to young people working with yeah young people is it's just it's really the joy of my life i I love my job i love my colleagues and it's an intense job but it's also um i love working with people and talking to them and seeing how they think and the coaching and i also coach teachers now so not only the students Mm. but also teachers um and I think it has really helped me. I mean, first of all, you learn from being among other people. Sure. And I experienced that because as a freelancer, you're almost always alone. And once I started working there, I thought, first of all, hearing my name, I was like, oh, there are people <laughs> like, oh, they're talking to me. They need, you know, I <laughs> have a question, or, you know? And you just learn from being surrounded by other people. And that also really helped me in developing, you know, what I told earlier knowing who I am, um, navigating uh, the self-racialization. Whenever something happened to me, I would tell my colleagues and they were so understanding and empathetic Mm. and kind and supportive. And that day when I found out about my twin, it was in the early morning. And then I had to teach at 10 10 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever. Oh, wow. And I I told my, my, my boss, I was like, okay, I have to tell you now. And, and he was like, what do you want to do? You know, and I said, I just, I want to go in front of class. I just want to, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would do at home. Sure. And I just went. So in, in a way, 
you know, that place is, um, yeah, it's done a lot for me. I like it. I really appreciate you sharing that because I think, and I, I really think it makes a lot of sense because we talked just prior about finding community with other Korean adoptees and how it's mm-hmm. been a process and it's still mm-hmm. like to truly authentically connect and, and feel like it's not forced. And then as you take in this teaching position that you have seemed like found some genuine connection of community, mm-hmm. not necessarily with adoptees, but with folks that you can share that experience with who don't seem to be approaching you or, 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 or handling it with judgment, but rather with care, you know, as we talked about pre-show. Most of them. Yeah, mo- okay, most of them. But at least, at least some cer- certain people, because even like two or three people. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, teachers are very nice people. Sure. They, my you wife's know, a teacher, are, so she's pretty, and she's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, yeah. You know, it's your job to be empathetic, and um, our yeah, most of my colleagues and I've you know a, a group of them have become really close friends of mine. Um, they are deeply empathetic people and smart. You know, mm-hmm. they really listen and they really see you, etc. Yeah, you can have this group of people that is not uh, Korean. And what I like is that you're reminding me of, I think my, on my second trip to Korea, I really did a search on the street. Mm. So you really go with go in the area where my mother had said that she lived and with a flyer, you know, with my photo and everything and mm-hmm. talking to old people. And it's one of the most grueling things I've ever done. And then I was able to connect with some people that I met on the street there. Mm. And when I came back and I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm happy that you're reminding me of it because it's, it's been a while. Um, I thought, you know what? I did that. You know, it made me feel really, uh, I feel that connection and that, that, you know, sense of home or, uh, you know, I am building what this means for me to Mm. be adopted. And I'm doing that myself because I went out there on the street telling people I'm searching for my, my mother and talking to those people and being vulnerable. And I think I feel in a way, of course it's a mutual thing, but with my colleagues, I also feel uh, it's empowering to, to make friends, Sure, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and to, to know, okay, I am able to make connection. And that, that definitely didn't come naturally to me. I, I, I find that hard. And, I used to be a really shy kid. Yeah. I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, Well, hey, Sheila, I have about 10 million more questions. Um, But in the interest of time, because I know you're joining us and it is very late, um, we're going to go ahead and transition over to our snack. And I'm going to ask you one more question over there. But uh, we will be right back with a snack item. Welcome back to the John Chi Show, food, or for today, drink portion of the show. <laughs> not to, not any little spoiler alert there, but we are not you snacking. You did just spoil it. I know it is, sorry. <laughs> we're not snacking, we're drinking. Uh, um, but what are we drinking? T- today we are drinking um, some tea. I thought it would be, uh, um, this was actually, uh, he shall have this you, this is like a, a thing you've drank many times and have on hand at your at your place. And yes. when you sent me a photo, I was like, yes, we've 
I've seen this. I haven't tried it except for that one that was in the bottle. So I thought this would be perfect uh, for us to get it and and try. Um, it is, from what I can tell, um, the name of the brand or Sempio Lotus Root and Burdock Tea. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, I guess KJ is not here to translate. To not translate the Hangul. <laughs> the Hangul. I know. Um, so, and there's very little American huge uh, oversight English. on our part. There's not um, much English on here. It's all, it's, I don't know. Oh, I do know. It says here. It says cha, which is tea. Okay. So that's yeah, how far I, I would get. Nice, yeah. farther than me, and I'm supposed <laughs> to be studying. <laughs> Perfect. I, I, I've seen some of this before, and I've heard of burdock root before. Is this what yours um, looks like? No, so my that's the other one. I, oh, I forgot to record video for this. It's too right. late. We've already started. We've come too far. <laughs> but uh, but you know, no, it's it's. I've seen burdock root before, and I remember reading in the past about it. But I wanted to go back and look at it a little more. Um, you like this tea, apparently, if you've been drinking it for a while. Why do you like it, and how do you use it? I guess. Um. Well, so I have the one that has really the dried lotus and burdock root in it mm. uh in little pieces loose, and it looks yeah. it looks uh pretty too so the lotus with the little um how do you say that little holes in there and um i think it's one of the first things i found once i started eating korean food and i just thought i'll try it and what i do is i make uh, a little pot of you know hot water and then throw in usually one or two lotus roots and then a couple of more burdock uh, pieces and just i just leave them in there and then Mm. they swell up of course and they become bigger and what i like about it is that it tastes a little bit like cookie cookie tea cookie it's quite yeah i don't even i don't drink my tea yeah it's like uh okay like cookie i i find okay I'm afraid so, that mine's not going to taste like that. And <laughs> no, so you, you I like the way that you one. make yours together, like it put yours together good. with the different things. Yeah, I don't, I don't stroke. add honey necessarily, which is actually what you can also do is buy the sort of uh, lemon um, honey type of stuff in a jar, it, mm-hmm. it, which looks like jelly, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, add that to your tea, which I've done before, which is really nice and sort of fresh. Um, I'm not yeah, gonna lie, I'm not a big tea, tea person. I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, do, I, do, but, I do too. I mean, you, I'm a huge tea person, and I don't, I don't drink coffee actually. I want to transition over to tea, but I just haven't made the jump yet. I just it's, can't. It's healthier for you. Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, especially if you see all the creamer I put in mine. But yeah, uh, <laughs> right, I, I like tea. I like the smell of it. So going when you said cookie, mm-hmm. I, at first when I smelled it, I was like, okay, this is different. And the thing I was thinking, well, my description was going to be earthy. Hmm. Um, I was, which, yeah. which I guess in a way, though, when you say cookie, now makes me think of flour, which makes me think of cookies. Right. So cookie maybe dough, so right? I'm going to think of cookie dough when I eat it, and not yeah. a round, hard root that looks what it looks like on the cover of the <laughs> of the picture. Because when I mean, honestly, <laughs> when you think of root, you're like, oh, this looks like a like like. Not sugar cane, but you know, like a long, mm-hmm. like a, a branch of a tree, really. Um, and of course, the lotus root <laughs> looks like you know a potato with holes in it. That's tastes pretty good, actually. Right, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. It really reminds me of being in Korea. Yeah, and I can see. I can see. Oh yeah. I don't know. I like it, and I, it's hard for me to right now pinpoint what it is I like about it. 
I like. I don't know if I'd say I can taste the cookie <laughs> taste kind of, even though yeah. I don't have the lotus. Or wait, what is the, what does mine not have? I don't know. The I lotus you, you don't right. have the lotus. You might just have yeah, mine's just burdock cover. tea, is what it yeah. says. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but I feel like I can taste it a little bit, and it's like I don't know. It's I wanted to say it was flat, but it's not flat. It's got like a full flavor, but also not overpowering. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's mild. It's hard to describe. It's mild. Like it is it. mild. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think that's uh, why I like it. Yeah. Yeah, and I well, think as for Korean tea, this is this is a common tea, and uh, or the you know the corn tea, yeah. which is literally like popcorn tea. Mm. You know, the barley it's really, teas. Yeah. It, it tastes like drinking popcorn. <laughs> mm. I, we drank a we drank a tea very early on. I think it was like episode six, and it was not good for me. It was like <laughs> no? a cold tea, he, like a bottled he, tea. Yeah, like he a, was the one right. who had the bitter melon tea, I believe. Was that a what it was? I think it was, was the, I think it was the bitter melon tea that you had. Yeah, another I, I tried all of I've them. They weren't on different. <laughs> I mean, it's different too. Cold teas and hot teas, they just they're different. And I don't sure. know. Yeah. It is. Um, I mean, even if it's the exact same tea, which I saw on the package here, it says you can do it um, cold on ice. Have you ever had these teas on ice as well? Yeah, and I, whenever I go to the Korean shop, I take some snacks, and one of my favorite uh, cold drinks is a teasel. Teasel. <laughs> do you know that one? The teasel. I do not. No. It's it's spelled T E A Z L E. A teasel. Nice. And it's really, I think it's very funny, but it's also super refreshing and, and kind of sweeter and like a cold drink. Oh, that's good to look yeah. that up. Oh, speaking of looking up, I did look up what burdock tea, root tea was, was what kind of benefits it had. And it, there's a lot. It lists all kinds of benefits, um, mm. uh, including prevention and treatment of cancer. Which, uh, of course, it puts in parentheses the center uh, cancer has not insufficient evidence to support that. Um, I don't but, think that should be the first one. Is that the first one? I know it's the first one on there. <laughs> okay, I know, but there was should be at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> but it did say that the the study found that it helped, uh, you know, free radicals uh, stop certain cancers from spreading. Again, not confirmed, but yeah, that was number one. And then it goes on to soothing a cold cough, a cold and a cough, um, which makes sense. A warm liquid, uh, improving liver health. Which uh, you know, I could see that that this has been used to because they did say it has a lot of antioxidants and it's a detoxifying um, your liver. Um, so there you go, uh, Patrick. For any long weekends of drinking, you can use this at the end of the week. Perfect. A soju night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've not uh, done a uh, yeah, I've not done a tea recovery before. There you and go. Maybe, maybe I should. Maybe I'm always trying try to hit it with coffee. Maybe I should yeah. switch the tea. Switch it. Let us know how oh, that works out. Because coffee dehydrates you more, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm just coffee in one hand, water in the other hand. It's just <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> okay. uh, it also says easing aches and pains because with the anti-inflammatory properties uh, and reducing blood pressure. And then it goes into some cosmetic things, which is interesting. Reducing wrinkles, improving hair, and uh, uh, excess weight water weight um, because it is so, a diuretic so it does say that it, it will um you know potentially um <laughs> i guess you might have to go to the bathroom after you drink this i guess so you know. right and so it's you'll live forever and and be beautiful yeah 
That's it's, what it sounds like to me, and I'll take sounds it. Sounds like very good. <laughs> yeah, everything that it lists here says, you know, a lot of good stuff. So it sounds like, very Korean. Live forever. It's very, it sounds like everything <laughs> yes. Koreans like to hear. Right. You exactly. know, not only does it cure barley. cancer, <laughs> it is good for your skin. Complexion. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, skin. That curing cancer one. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, all right. Well, since you are a, a veteran of burdock root tea what is your out of five out of five burdock roots how many <laughs> would you give the tea um i would give it four i i really i really like it and it gives it gives me a cozy feeling it reminds me of korea and i mean it's cookie tea so cookie tea. and it, yep. i mean it will you know uh, cure everything there's possibly <laughs> wrong with my body right and give me good skin so exactly that's just, that's and, it's, and it's still only got a four. So imagine what it would be to get a five. And that does a really good teacher question, actually. Why not five? That's mm. that a typical teacher question. Why not five? It is, I mean, it is a mild tea. It's not like, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I can't believe uh, my life before this tea. It was, <laughs> you know. <laughs> good, good answer. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it is a mild tea. It's not the most special, uh, extravagant. Yes, of it's not above and beyond a plus. No, but it's better than it's better than a three. Yeah, it's better exactly. than just right in the middle, it, which is two point five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go four as well. I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's a solid, the cozy feeling. Pretty much everything that you said, I agree with. Hey, Shil, I think it's it's all of that and more. And honestly, makes me think of Korea. And I've never, I've not been back yet, except for when I was adopted. And I don't know. There's just something in there. I think it's just turning a switch. And maybe it's because I'm getting ready to go, but I don't know. Something about it. So I'm going to be drinking in, some of this. It's in thing. your body. Right. It's in your exactly. body. Instinctive. Like your you body. were talking yeah, about. Yeah, there yep. you go. It is. Like we said. It is. Yep. You guys, I'm going to agree with everyone, the, the the community here, and say four as well. I do. I like it. I'm, I, 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 maybe I'd give it a five if I had a cookie to eat along with it, too. But... Uh, <laughs> I think it's definitely actually I do. Oh, wait, I have some cookies. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I like it. It's mild, like you said, it's not overpowering, it's not too bitter. Um, I almost added honey to it, but then I was like, nope, I'm gonna go pure, like how it is from the bag. I want it to be, you know, full effect. And and I don't feel like it even needs it. I mean, granted, it might taste, you know, a little sweeter, a little definitely more like a cookie if it had more sweetness to it, but but I like it the way it is right now. So. Just say you want a cookie. I want a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I bought a box that has 40 packets in or 40 bags. Um, yeah. It was only $9. So Amazon. What? Yeah, you I can get this on Amazon, not just HMark. So. <laughs> um, but I just ran out of coffee. So maybe I'm going to be trying uh, some of this tea in the mornings. Um <laughs> But hey, Shil, it's been an honor again, as I said at the top of the show, to have you on and to have you share so much of your story with us here, uh, some of it for the very first time. And before we let before we we leave, because I know it's late where you are in the mm-hmm. Netherlands, I just wanted to ask you, we talked a lot. Of, I feel like a lot of your story is informed by um, the narrative of adoption. And we mm-hmm. talked a lot pre-interview about changing that narrative and painting the fuller picture, like by sharing stories, what we do on the show here, you know, that's something that we're, I think all of us are really passionate about. And then in your guest forum, you talked about 
the thought process of redefining the word adoption Mm -hmm. and that you had Mm -hmm. given that some thought. And so I wanted to leave us, uh, leave the, the end the episode, I guess, on how you would go about redefining it if you're open to sharing that. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, well, generally, as I said, the, it, here in the Netherlands, at least, and that's the experience I can speak for the most, um, the narrative about adoption is incredibly strong. It's very, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really formed through TV and through these reunion TV shows where it seems like reunion is the the single one goal you can have as an adoptee. And um, it says nothing about what happens after yeah. or, or really before. And I guess what I would like is that, first of all, for adoption to be experienced as successful, whatever that is, that it is not something that is viewed from the perspective of the adoptive parents, but from Mm. the adoptee and also to be seen as someone who is living as an adoptee. So what I really like is the show. This is us. Maybe Mm. you've seen it. I have not, I've not gotten the courage or the strength to watch it yet. Mm. (laughs) I can imagine because it's, it's, uh, well, I cried my eyes out uh, for real not just like, oh, this show, but really like true right. uh, grief and sadness. But what they do really good, I mean, they for sure have sp- spoken to adoptees and they show um, Sterling K. Brown. He plays Randall, who is an adopted man uh, within his family. They show his life as an adoptee and the conversations that can come up or um, and what I love the most and maybe what I would like to share most answering this question is the ghost kingdom. So it's something I did not have words for, but thinking of my mother lives inside of me and my, somehow I think less of my father, I don't know, but you know, my parents uh, or where I'm from. And there are thoughts that I've never shared with anyone, but they are just sort of subconsciously in me. And I think about them and, and where they are or it can be just during the day or maybe, you know, when I think about it more deeply and consciously, for example, um, you know, as I'm born in September, uh, I was conceived around Christmas. And it's one of the things I like to think about most of this Christmas time in, in, in Korea in 1983, where um, my parents, you know, must have met or they were together or there was something. and. Um, yeah, I like to think about those things and that's the ghost kingdom and it's, it's just what exists inside of you. And I wish that those narratives would be more, uh, yeah, would be, um, more visible. And I I loved how that show did that because it's really true. You really think about it and can comfort you. And, um, it's just a part of you. And I think very few people know that. I love it. Beautifully, beautifully spoken. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And now I have to watch the show. Um, (laughs) Hey, Jill, thank you so, so much. If people wanted to connect with you in any way, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, They can uh, follow my Instagram, which is uh, he, Jill, H-Y-S-H-I-L. 
uh, on, on Insta. Um, yeah, I guess. Perfect. Cool. Well, we will link that in the show notes, me, because <laughs> I will probably be writing them. Um, <laughs> again, thank you so, so much. This has been an absolutely an absolute honor and privilege and a wonderful thank conversation. You. Nathan, are you getting ready to ask yeah. them? No, I was just saying thank you so much for taking oh. the time. That, so <laughs> such a late hour. I know that yes. the time difference is, is uh, you know, um, fairly large. So, um, but we appreciate you taking the time and uh, glad we could uh, work it out. So, yes. Well, thank you uh, for having me and giving me the chance to, to, to share my story. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's, yeah, it's always an honor to have a person who's listened to the show on. Um, I think that's uh, I think it's a, a treat for us, and I think it's a very special thing to be able to talk to the community and allow them to to utilize our platform. Um, if you wanted to ever be a guest on the show, you can reach out to us at John Show at JustLikeMedia.com via email. Uh, I also believe there's a form that you can fill out via our Instagram handle. I think it's a Linktree bio. Um, that's at John Show there and at John Chi Show on all the other social media platforms. Um, you can also leave us a voicemail uh, at 972-677-8867 if you want to ask us questions, leave us comments, anything like that. If you also want to leave us a review and or comments on our podcast, anywhere that they, any podcast that you listen to um, or any podcast player that allows for that, we would love to, to have you leave us a, a rating or a review. That means a lot to us as well. Um, oh, you can also support the show, johnsyshow.com backslash support and store. Um, those are two different ways that you can do that. Uh, Nathan, mm-hmm. tell them about the live show we got coming up real quick. Oh, and again, yes, we have a live show in person, October 22nd in Dallas. So, um, more details, follow all of our socials. You'll see the, uh, information that we'll be posting, but it will be the, that entire day, essentially October 22nd. So, um, so stay tuned. We will have a form online where you can sign up for that and reserve your spot. And uh, yeah, we would look forward to seeing everyone and being there. You can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Nowak. Uh, and, uh, also you can find me on Facebook. I'm in the after party. He is in the after party. You can find me on Instagram and on LinkedIn at Patrick in the world. Um, you can also find me on my website, Patrick in the world.me. You can find our non-existent co-host KJ at KJ Relke, wherever he wants to be found He's as existent. well. He's just um, present. I will also say as you're hearing this, um, hopefully all of those things are already out. So about the live show. So hopefully yeah, you've yes. already signed up and bought a ticket and you know, all of the really incredible things that we are doing. Um, I think we got a lot of special things lined up. So very excited for that. Um, hey, Sheil, again, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, definitely got to have you back on because a hundred more things that I want to talk to you about <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it later, but <laughs> other than that, um, I guess until next week, we will see you later until then. John G. Hey, hey,